This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Hey everyone, Gil Gross here, and it is time for the 2023 U.S. Open Power Rankings Final Edition, and the only edition. Now, normally, I really like to do my power rankings throughout the season, read the comments, and it gets me thinking, did I make a mistake? Is someone too high? Is someone too low? It gets me out of my own head, my own echo chamber. And because I didn't do the power rankings every week, these last three weeks for the hardcore season, I was missing that feedback. So I'm going to bring on someone who is just as unhinged as a YouTube comment section. That is Alex Gruskin of Cracked Rackets. And I will ask him what his power rankings are. We are going to compare notes. Before, I will run through mine rapid fire. I'll give you quick reasonings. And then I'll get to Gruskin after that. I will warn, I did have some audio issues. The audio was coming from my camera instead of my microphone here. So unfortunately, it doesn't sound awesome, but it sounds good enough that I did not re-record. So hopefully that's all right. It'll be uh, rapid fire going through these power rankings, and then we'll get to Gruskin. Just kidding. I am re-recording, so my audio is going to sound fine. Let's begin with the next out category. We have Taylor Fritz, Hubert Hercotch, and Alex Dimonor. When it comes to Fritz, there have been some titles this year, some consistent results, but not enough big event success. His struggles at the last four majors are well documented, and I do think that that should turn around at some point soon. But even if you go down to the Masters 1000 level, it's not inspiring. One Masters semifinal this year, you got to go all the way back to Monte Carlo. As for Hubert Hurkacz, he's looked fantastic these last couple weeks, both runs ending at the hands of Carlos Alcaraz, but from the eye test for me, he's playing by far his best tennis of the year. The reason he doesn't end up in the top 10 is because of his season as a whole. I mean, you look at the big picture here, he's 16th in the race, and it feels like that could be worse if he hasn't been relatively clutch in deciding tie breaks and won a few matches down match point. And another thing is his struggles at majors. Now, maybe he doesn't have a reputation as someone who hasn't done well at the slams because of that high-profile Wimbledon semifinal run, but that's his only quarterfinal. Wimbledon, 2021, that's it. Let's go to Alex Dimonor. He's been red hot. You can't argue with his results. He's made three finals since Queens, and he's also turned around his results against top uh, top players. He started 0-18 against top five opposition. He's now 4-4 four and four in his last eight. But again, it's his overall body of work at the majors that really stops him from getting in this top 10. He's only made one major quarterfinal in his career. That was at the U.S. Open in 2020, and it's a pretty large sample size. So to put Demonor in the top 10 would be to basically say that he's a completely different player than what we've seen for the last three, four years, and I don't have quite enough reason to believe that this is a completely different and brand new Alex Demonor, even if he might be playing the best tennis of his career. 
I just can't make that leap. So with that, let's go to the top 10. At number 10, it is Holger Runa. There are a ton of question marks when it comes to Holger. Is he healthy? His Cincinnati ended with a retirement because of a back injury. Why hasn't it happened for him on outdoor hard court? Is it the heat? It's hard to come up with a great theory, but for sure, uh, that kind of thing is a pattern that's hard not to notice. He hasn't made a big outdoor hardcore quarterfinal thus far. We also saw him get into a pretty big slump last year. I don't know if he's quite in one this year. At this point, it's way too early to say that, but the fact that we saw him get red hot and we've seen him get pretty cold at times, it just leads you to believe that maybe that's who Holgaruna is right now, and we just could be in the midst of a cold stretch for him. He also doesn't have the long resume of results over the course of a longer career that would make it easy to look past his recent struggles and give him the benefit of the doubt. You'll find that there are some players above him in these power rankings who have, similarly to Runa, not had a great last couple weeks. But when you have a massive resume to look at, you can kind of lean on that instead of those recent results, but with Holger, it's harder to do that. He's 0-2 versus top 20 players on hardcourt this year, and he's only 14-9 overall on hardcourt. All that adds up to his placement at number 10. At number 9 is Kasparud. He is your reigning U.S. Open finalist. He is a three-time major finalist, but he's also 10th in the race this year, at risk of missing the year-end championships. And the last two weeks have not been good. One and two at the Hardcourt Masters. Losses to Alejandro Davidovich Fakina and Max Purcell. The ugliest thing out of all of it is his record on Hardcourt this year. It's six wins to eight losses. It's almost incomprehensible that someone with a six and eight record on Hardcourt would even find their way into this top 10 power rankings. But U.S. Open finalist... Three-time major finalist, has a knack for making runs when you don't think he's going to make a run. So, yeah, he's number nine for those reasons. At number eight is Andre Rublev, someone who has defined consistency when it comes to making major quarterfinals. He's already been to two this year, and that means that this is the third year out of the last four where he has quartered at multiple majors. The body of work this season is also good. He's sixth in the race. But as hardcourt masters, last couple weeks, just like Rude, just like Runa, pretty much a worst-case scenario. A couple of first-round losses to Mackie McDonald and Emil Rusevori. Ultimately, it's his history-making quarterfinals and his solid season that lands him at eight. At number seven is Tommy Paul. I don't know if that's a surprising placement, but it's certainly a fresh one, a new one, because Tommy Paul has never landed himself inside a power rankings for any major in his career. That's for sure. But after playing Alcaraz really, really well in back-to-back -back weeks and actually finishing the job and beating him in Canada, he should feel like the man. And it's not just that. Lest we forget, he made the Australian Open semifinal. Yeah, the draw was kind, but he did it. He knows he can do it. And you look at his hardcourt results in 2023. I have a stat for you. Only four players this year have 20 hardcourt wins and above a 70% win rate on the surface. Djokovic, Medvedev, Sinner, and Tommy Paul. Now, he had struggled at the U.S. Open until last year, but that's behind him. I thought he got a pretty good run. He, he had a win over Sebastian Korda. He pushed Kasparud to five sets, and Rude would go on to make the final. But the knock on Tommy Paul is this. He's played 13 majors since 2020, only two fourth rounds. Let's go on to number six. It's Stefanos Tsitsipas. Since winning Los Cabos... Tsitsipas has gone three straight matches without breaking serve once. But the most damning statistic that I hadn't even noticed 
before doing research for these power rankings is that Stefanos is 0-5 against top 10 players this year. He's also never been past the third round at the U.S. Open, but that's a stark contrast to what he's done at the Australian Open. Semifinals are better in Melbourne four out of the last five years. This is a pretty similar surface, and the disparity shouldn't be so wide. So I actually take his Australian Open results into account. And to me, that boosts Tsitsipas's placement in these power rankings. Another thing with Steph is I'm curious to see if Apostolos is in New York. The process of moving away from him as a head coach is, of course, not easy. In the long run, I think it's going to be great for his tennis, but there might be some growing pains. And I'm just curious. This is a major. This is the U.S. Open. Is Apostolos really just not going to be there? Or is he going to be in the box? And might that dynamic still be in progress in terms of figuring that out. At number five, it's Alexander Zverev. Finally, Zverev got his first top 10 win of the season over Medvedev in the semifinal run last week in Cincinnati. He also pushed Djokovic decently hard. Suddenly, he's both more decorated and in better form than so many of the players above him in the rankings. Also, you look at the race now. He's eighth, and... January was basically a wash for him. He was a shell of himself. He took an early loss at the Australian Open to Michael Moe, if my memory serves. I genuinely wonder what would happen if you took away January and then recalculated the race. Zverev might be even a few spots higher than he is already. He's also been good at the U.S. Open. Last two appearances are a final and a semifinal. Now, I still don't think he's offensive enough right now to beat an elite player who's on their game. But still... Zverev seems pretty well positioned for at least some sort of a run at the U.S. Open. There have been some strange, surprising losses sprinkled in here and there for Zverev. He's been breadsticked or bageled in five of his losses this year, which seems like a high number. But as long as he doesn't have one of these performances where he kind of no-shows, I'm feeling pretty good about Sasha. At number four is Yannick Sinner. Sinner is basically the only player in his tier who delivered an overwhelmingly positive North American swing. He won his first big title. That's absolutely massive. It's a huge weight off of his shoulders. And you really can't fault him for losing first round in Cincinnati the week after. Now, if he made a run in Cincinnati, it would have really showcased his durability. It would have told you that physically he's very much ready to go two weeks, best of five sets. And maybe he'd be even higher on this list had he made a run in Cincy. But overall, I don't really penalize him for that loss. He's also coming off of his first ever major semifinal. That's not only good experience, but really good to get over that quarterfinal mental hurdle, which could have tripped him up at the U.S. Open. His major resume this year, though, is very, very strange. Sinner is 0-2 against top 50 players at majors, and both of those losses are top 10 losses. So essentially, he's either played someone who he's definitely, definitely supposed to beat, and he's done that with the exception of Daniel Altmaier, or he's played a top 10 player and lost. There's been zero in between. I'll also say that because there's a one-dimensional aspect about Sinner's games, the draw, which has been kind to him thus far, it's going to be very important. Not so much that he needs an easy draw, but just that some matchups bother him a lot and other matchups, he's the one doing the bothering. So it's going to be fascinating to see what kind of players he's drawn with. He's also the sort of on-the-rise player who's done well at the U.S. Open in recent years. Let's go to number three. It's Daniil Medvedev. Medvedev failed to make a semifinal in either of the lead-in hardcourt masters. Lost to Demon in Canada, lost to Zverev in Cincinnati. I was especially disappointed in his level in Cincy. Medvedev blamed the conditions and felt like he couldn't really hit out on the ball. But in Canada, it was kind of a similar thing. So Medvedev certainly needs to make that adjustment, start to feel comfortable, and turn things around. But you look at it, hardcourts this year, 32-5 and record four titles. Those numbers both lead the tour. And at the U.S. Open, yeah, lost to Nick Kyrgios last year in the fourth round. Well, he was down last year, and Kyrgios was a really tough matchup for him. You look at the three years prior, a title, a semifinal, and a final. Medvedev has simply been too good on hard courts in the last 
four years, if you look at the full kind of picture, for him to not be three in these power rankings, in my opinion. At number two is Carlos Alcaraz. This is certainly where the tier one begins, and Alcaraz slots in at two, partially because of his form since Wimbledon. Eight matches, only one straight set win. He's had breakpoint conversion issues. He's had first serve damage issues, but he's also shown off incredible mental strength. And I really feel that he had some great learning experience against Djokovic. I think in the long run, it's going to really help him that he toughed out those matches and got to the Cincinnati final, even if he couldn't end up winning the match. For the first time, he is defending a major title here at the U.S. Open. He's also coming off of a major title on a surface that he had very little experience on coming in. There will be conversation about his endurance, but I fall squarely on the side of thinking that he'll be strong in that area, and maybe I'll explain why in another video. But let us get to number one. That is certainly Novak Djokovic. Interestingly enough, he hasn't won the U.S. Open since 2018, and it's been a combination of weird factors that have made that happen. He was absent last year because of VAX requirements. In 2021, he lost to Medvedev in the final, where he was just depleted from trying to win the Grand Slam in an Olympic year and dealing with all the nerves that came with that, uh, as well as just kind of playing a lot of protracted matches in the lead-up to that final. In 2020, he had that fluke DQ, and in 2019, he had the retirement because of a left shoulder injury against Dan Vavrinka. So it's been Murphy's Law at the U.S. Open. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Djokovic is still number one because, well, all of those things just seem kind of crazy. And if you look at hard courts in 2023, his record is 20-1. and one. Of course, he's the Australian Open champion, which he did with an injury. Yes, he didn't have to beat Carlos Alcaraz, but he beat Alcaraz last week in Cincinnati, where he could not have possibly been more impressive. For a guy coming off of a month layoff, having not played any hardcourt tennis since February, Djokovic was sharp as attack. He played a great level. He was physically fantastic, and he just didn't miss a beat. So Djokovic with all of his experience and that really impressive showing in Cincinnati, as well as what has been a dominant hardcourt resume in 2023, he lands at number one. All right, let's get to Alex Groskin and see what he thinks. We're joined by him all the time. You know him very well. Rackets <laughs> podcasts. And this week... A man who interviews the likes of Alexander Sasnovich at Tennis in the Land in Cleveland, the official MC. Thank you for uh, for taking a break from from what are very long days, staying up late, and uh, we're gonna do U.S. Open power rankings. You ready? Uh, there is no greater pleasure than getting to appear on your YouTube channel, which just so significantly dwarfs me in subscriber count and the Twitter race that was founded in 2019. It's obliterated. The race is over. I'm throwing up the white flag. You know, again, you talk about the MC role. Let me tell you all, I have the requisite sunburn to prove it. That is not camera work from the laptop. That is, that is real burn folks. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. And you bring up the Sasnovich interview. Here's a quick tangent and just some pro to pro talk inside baseball. So, and I say this with all affection, Sasevich made the final of this event last year. I was the MC of the event and credit to Alexandra Sasnovich. She now has money. She's been a pro for about a decade. She got braces. And last year she had the braces while she was playing. I once upon a time had braces as well. This year, the braces are off and I can't emphasize enough how tempted I was to be like, so. Life without braces, pretty good, right? And I didn't, and I can't, right, Gil? Like, that's not like something you ask, right? Because like, if you had braces in the crowd, you'd be like, yo, that's a huge deal. Like, they're off now. Um, but I feel like it's probably not professional. Yeah, it's, it's definitely borderline. It mm -hmm. might be the kind of thing where if I- Win the title. Talking to her off, off mic, <laughs> I might mention it, see how she reacts, like, Ooh. And, and if it works, then maybe go for it live, and, and the only people who will know will be the listeners of, of this, <laughs> yeah. right? so it'll work. 
Yeah, well, like I said, the follower count for you, you know, you've dwarfed me, so I'll take it. I'll take every extra year I can I get. get complacent. You might catch me. I might oh. like like Alcaraz up 4-2 in the second of that Cincinnati final. Yeah, that complacency is called the Joel Drucker effect, but we could move <laughs> on from there. <laughs> I just, I love you, Joel. Mwah, let's talk U.S. Open. Let's do it. From Sasnovich to who's going <laughs> to win the U.S. Yeah. Uh, let's start at the top, Okay. okay. There's one of two guys who you put in that number one spot. I don't think it's it's obviously pretty close. It's it's very clear that that's the tier one. But I I have a, a number one. Like I don't I, I feel like I'm pretty confident in putting one above the other. What about you? I think Djokovic has to be one A after Cincinnati. Just take. Mentally, it, it's crazy, and I had this conversation on one of our Cracked Rackets podcasts, so I apologize for repeating myself to some of the crossover listeners. It's the first time since maybe 2012 where it felt like we had a must-win match for Novak Djokovic that didn't happen at a major. It just felt like down a set and a break, you needed to see something from Novak because ostensibly, Carlos had, thus far, you know, again, had, somehow – built a mental edge for the first time. Someone not named Rafa or Federer felt like they could go head to head with Djokovic and play him even. And then, you know, he played him even, but Novak was on the winning end. Novak was able to summon that second gear as he has so frequently throughout the course of his career. And look, this is the story. This is the rivalry. It's one, a one B not one and two because the separation between those two and the rest of the field, it's a significant Delta. I think Djokovic has to be number one. The statistics back me. I don't need to list them. You all see it with your eyes. He's one Carlos is two, one uh, B and then there's a significant drop. I think that's how I would frame it. Yeah. I mean, you can frame it that way. That's not how the power rankings. Will be. <laughs> that's not how you got, works. you don't allow letters. That That's <laughs> illegal. No okay. Then, no then Novak won Carlos two. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm with you. Um, I, I might be a little bit light on my argumentation because there is going to be a separate part of this where I just run through stats. So I'm not yes. going to repeat them. It's um, good. We'll switch roles for once. But, but that's an interesting point you just made about, about the, the must winness of that Cincinnati final. I, I know what you mean because it was grass. Yeah. And because it was wait at this point in your career, and mm -hmm. what I've done, I'm supposed to win this. Not Especially here. after the French. Especially after the French. Exactly. Uh, mm -hmm. So I get that. I mean, I would, if I were to nitpick you, because that's what I do. Please. I actually thought last year at Wimbledon he needed to win the title. So, but that's a slam. I said outside of the slams. It's the first time a non-slam match, because I agree with you. That's 100% true. But the first time where, again, it wasn't a major, and you felt like, I think Novak needs to win this. And yeah. he did, to his credit. Yeah, I guess the the only parallel might be like when he played Medvedev and Bercy, and it was like let's get him back. So he sure. did it again. He got him back. Uh, so I agree with with Novak one and and Alcaraz two certainly. Number three feels like a slam dunk. Do you have Daniil Medvedev, or do you have? I do not. So I so here's the thing. I was going to come up here and be cheeky, as I like to be with you, um, and say number three is whichever highest-ranked guy is not on Novak Djokovic's side. But then I was thinking about it, and I was like, you know what? I really wouldn't want to be on Carlos's side either. Yeah. And so I do think you have to go on the merits of the level we have seen. And I'm throwing out the Cincinnati loss as a schedule loss for Yannick Sinner. Like, you won Canada the week before. Who cares what happened in Cincinnati? You accomplished what you came here to accomplish. It's like in a seven-game series, you win one of the first two on the road. You did your job through those first two games. That was Yannick Sinner in Canada. I think he has to be three. He hasn't taken a bad loss at a major this season. He had match points on Alcaraz last year at this event. And if the tennis gods continue to reward us, not only might they give us a Djokovic-Alcaraz final, they'll give us a Sinner-Alcaraz matchup at some point in the event. Three guys are top 15 in hold and break percentage. Djokovic, Alcaraz, Sinner. I see that with my eyes as well. He's my number three. I'm And, and Medvedev hasn't been good enough, but we'll get to that in four. 
Yeah, I, I get that. Now, well, first of all, I completely agree with you about the Cincinnati result. You you throw yeah. it out the window, put it in the trash. It doesn't matter. He's allowed to lose that. Frankly, he's the only guy who you really feel better about coming out of this swing. <laughs> oh, that's so perfectly put. Everybody else you feel worse about. Yeah. I, I still can't get there with Sinner over Medvedev because if you look at the, the hard court results as a whole in 2023, and look, fair enough, yeah. Medvedev didn't have a good Australian Open, but you look at four titles, you look at Daniil's hard court record, you look at the fact that he's won the U.S. Open, it's just a resume that that has so much distance uh, ahead of Sinner's resume that I don't think the one I don't think two tournaments was really enough for me to flip this unless Daniil. I'll just leave it at that. I don't think two tournaments would have been enough. I just think Medvedev has done too much on hard courts in his career compared to Sinner. It's a fair argument to make. We've also seen Daniil Medvedev win a U.S. Open, and I know that sounds very simple, but. You have to see it to believe it almost with this next generation of guys. And I know Daniil Medvedev has the requisite fitness at this point of the calendar to be a nightmare. Three out of five sets. Now, I would have liked to see him make a semifinal run at one of the two Masters events. That was my litmus test yep. for Sabalenka, Sviantec as well. Just like go out, do that job. And to their credit, they both did. Medvedev didn't. Sinner won the title. You know I've always held a lot of Sinner stock. That's why he jumps Medvedev from three to four. But again, it's a <laughs> it's a two-tiered system, Gil. Um, it's actually a multi-tier system with numbers, no letters. Um, but tier one is Djokovic Alcaraz. Tier two is Sinner Medvedev. Tier three is the, the, the plethora of people that, as you referred to, you're not feeling so great about after this North American hardcore stretch. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, I, I thought we would agree on that. That's uh, yeah. that's interesting. Well, that's, can I? I guess it's, it's not an argument. Term. Honestly, well, man, it, it's short term versus long term. And yeah. For me, the long term just outweighs what we've seen in the last two weeks. Especially, I mean, look, the short term means a lot. All right. Mm -hmm. And and Medvedev. I mean, what did you make of Daniil's loss to Zverev, for example? Well, to me. And the numbers say this as well. Something's off with the serve right now. Like, it's just not dominating the way it needs to dominate. And I know he had a wave of double faults during Cincinnati. It, it just feels like he hasn't served particularly well these past two weeks. That's the thing to me is the physicality he brings is so perfectly accentuated by that 135 bomb he drops on you to earn himself some free points along the way. And if he's not doing that, the five-set recipe just becomes so much more arduous versus Sinner who can just go out there and say, look, I'm hitting the ball big and I'm going to beat you. And the game plan is a little more simple and, and self-determinant. I prefer Medvedev in best of three. Yeah. Ooh. And I like to point Ooh, out. Ooh, I like that take. Yeah. And I like to point out that when he won the U.S. Open, he lost one set. Yeah. The guy didn't have to play four and five setters. So yeah. I, I think that's a, a legitimate question mark that's attached to Daniil. Uh, and then he also played the ghost of Novak past in that final, but that's a discussion for a different time. <laughs> True. <laughs> the yes, the second serve has been an issue. No doubt about mm -hmm. it. That's the biggest concern. I think he knows that he'll yeah. try to fix that. My question, my biggest question with Medvedev, and I suppose it, it ties in the center in a way is conditions wise. Like when it comes to the tennis balls, is this going to be a situation where he's like, I don't like these Wilson U.S. Open points <laughs> here. Like, they just fly and I can't control them. Because against Verev, he was just pushing the ball. He had no confidence in hitting out on his forehand. And then he kind of said why he didn't have confidence. Because he felt like if he if he slightly mishit it, slightly mistimed it, it was going 10 feet long. And when that's kind of in your head and you're Medvedev and you're already defensively minded... To begin with, it just led to a, a Medvedev who was just massaging the ball in the court and not doing much else from the back. Perfectly put. I'll tell you this. If he doesn't like the balls, we will be the first to know because yeah. he'll make it very clear in the first set of his match. Let me ask you about Tsitsipas. He's one of the guys who has not inspired confidence, although... <laughs> 
He did win Los Cabos. I, I think that's interesting about him. The other very interesting thing about Tsitsipas is the delta between his Australian Open success and his U.S. Open success. They're not even in the vicinity of each other. And that, to me, is interesting. What do you make of it and where do you have him? Yeah, maybe he's Dominic team with less press. Like he's just playing his himself out of shape in the out of the end of the year. Like you just start to wonder. I mean, here's the thing: he did win Los Cabos. Like it's not as though he had a a terrible North American hardcore stretch, right? Like you look at who the losses were to in particular, and you know the context of each of those losses for Pass. What was it? The loss to Monfi in Canada. All right, that not, that one's not great. You could argue, though, that Hercot is pretty well built to do the things that make Tsitsipas uncomfortable, and like, like I don't, I don't hate that loss as much, particularly uh, given who he's for. Agreed. Form. I'll give you an agreed, but five good. two head to head over Hercot before that match, that's which fair. surprises me. Which yeah. surprises me, I'll say, but that's what it was. What if they just agreed, like, how about Tsitsipas, you play your forehand down the line. I'll go backhand down the line. We'll just keep everything on the deuce-ed side. Like, agree? Because yeah. like, I don't want to hit forehands. You don't want to hit backhands. Half court down the line. Um, where am I with Tsitsipas? What a loaded question. Well, what, Very straightforward. Where do you it was, uh, he is on my list because it's just disrespectful. You can't have a guy who's made multiple slam finals, who's beaten a Federer at a slam, who's beaten at a dog. Tsitsipas beat Nadal at a slam, right? At an Australian Open. I'm yeah, not so crazy. You're not crazy. How? How? Like, <laughs> it's 30 for 30. Or like, 6 for 6 on that match. Something something fast and quick and enjoyable. I have a eighth. And it's because I wanted to be fun with 7. Like, again, this is the tier 3 of... I think only one of four guys are winning this event. I think it's going to be Djokovic, Alcaraz, or Sinner and Medvedev do find that additional gear that I think we both think they're capable of. And certainly Medvedev showed earlier this season on hard courts. <sighs> I mean, Tsitsipas is number two in hold percentage. He's good. I just like eighth quarterfinals. Eighth. That's where I have him. Okay. Uh, he has not broken serve in his last three matches. Yeah, checks so out. I just wanted to counter or kind of go the other way on, on the how well he's holding serve stat. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the problem. And hey, these hard courts are quick. The yeah. the return is a challenge. The the thing, and I have him sixth. I have him higher than you. And the okay. big reason is I don't buy this Australian Open, US Open disparity. Now, I agree with you that he has been burnt out and worn down come US Open time and Oftentimes, the second half of the season just hasn't been as good as the first half. But I just think it's completely due to turn around at some point how different those two events have been for him. It makes no sense to me. Um, so that is to say that his success at the Australian Open, including making the final this year, has boosted him for me in my rankings. And that's kind of how I get there. All right. I mean, again, it's sixth, eighth to me. It's the yeah, same close. section of eh, on this list. And so I, I, I'm a little lower, but I'm yeah. curious. Do we agree on five? I, I have a feeling we're going to. It's That's interesting, right? So this is the best yeah. of the rest spot. Mm -hmm. And I have surprised myself with who I went with because it's not someone who I have backed or really picked to, to do a lot or fancied all year. Uh, but it's Alexander Zverev at this point. I think he's there now. It's just, it has to be it. It has to be the player there because he went and beat Medvedev in Cincinnati. The six and five against Djokovic was ugly, but that's what Zverev does when he's at his best is he just makes matches ugly and he grinds and it gets physical, but that physicality is 94% back for Alex Zverev. It's not 100 because he's not quite as fluid as he was prior to snapping that ankle in 2022. He's 6'6", can serve like it. Again, are you going to trust him enough in crunch time to put him up with those top four guys? No, he hasn't put together a result despite winning Hamburg that would have him quite in that conversation. But it's best of the rest. And... I feel less bad about him than I do the rest. Well, he needed his top 10 win. If you yes. could not put him five, if, if if I was like, you haven't beaten a top 10 player all year, you can't be five in the power rankings. But he gets that against Medvedev. 
I agree with the Djokovic performance being something that that was pretty re respectful uh, or respectable, I should say. Mm -hmm. I especially like the first set. And then he, I thought he went full passivity in the second set, which he does sometimes. He's never going to beat the elite unless mm -hmm. he figures out a way to fight himself on that, like he did at times in 2021, Roland Garros 2022 before the ankle. Uh, but that's been rare. I will say the serve looks really good. Mm -hmm. And... There is nobody who has both like resume, the resume he has and the form he has in mm -hmm. combination who's below him on our lists. I guarantee you everyone we have be behind Zverev either hasn't accomplished nearly as much or is not in any form. Perfectly put. The other thing is he has the inflated ego to be like, no, I'm still as good as those guys. And I'm not saying everyone on the tour doesn't have Nico because they all do. You have to at that level. But in Zverev's mind, he thinks he's back after winning that Medvedev match. And he's the only guy who comes in thinking, no, 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 I'm getting closer to well, – he's not the only guy because I think we're both going to have Tommy Paul on our list somewhere. Yep. But he's the only reasonable guy, as you mentioned, with the resume to be like, no, 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 I'm sort of finding my form I should be the best of the rest. Where do you have Tommy Paul? Six, like right <laughs> behind him. I let the record show because, again, you're starting to think you're going to love my seven. I'm really excited to unveil my seven. Where's Tommy for you? Because I'm curious your thoughts on him. For me, he's seven. Okay. And I thought, in fairness, I thought I was going high. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm kind of not surprised you one-upped me in this area. <laughs> you know, it's a very on-brand thing for you to do. Come on now. Uh, that in a hat. It's going to happen every time. Listen, Tommy Paul should should feel like the man right now. Mm -hmm. Tommy, is he Paul, the best American right now? In Tommy Paul's head, he should think he's world number three. <laughs> I mean, that's... And... Played Alcaraz twice and beat him once in this North American hardcore stretch. Back like, to back weeks. Yeah. It's yeah. so hard to go the next time. You're not being 100%. taken lightly. Mm-hmm you're getting game planned against because mm -hmm. you've just beat him mm -hmm. and you give him a run for, for his money again. It's just so impressive to me. And then you need a little more than that. And it's like, all right, Australian open semifinal. Mm -hmm. Cool. I hear he's one of four guys with 20 plus points on hard courts this year. <laughs> <laughs> Good stat. Which by go. the way, true. Um, look, he, I, I hate using arbitrary. You it, listeners who have heard my work before know I'm a quantifiable guy. Not, it, but the qualifier is he has it: the athleticism, the fluidity, the creativity, the ability to embrace the crowd, the calmness and swag through it all. But then when he makes a play against an Alcaraz, you're going to hear about it from him because I, I made this joke. You know, Carlos looks at Tommy and vice versa, and they go, finally, a real athlete. Like, finally, someone on the level. Um, and he just has that fact. And I, I just think, look, it helps that he's handsome. I think they respect his game. Like, I just think these players come in now, and I wonder how that changes things. Because he's not, you know, no one's sleeping on Tommy Paul anymore. I think they view him as a real threat as well. I think he views himself as a threat. And by the way, the ability for him to be on Armstrong or Ash or one of the bigger courts now, I think that only helps him more. I am fascinated. There are a lot of great American stories. Him, Coco, Pagula. There are reasons to get Americans excited for this Open. When's the last time Taylor Fritz hasn't been our number one guy on the men's side? Well, well, I'm not talking about the rankings. I'm talking about like us. Yeah. Well, who has the January? I still think Corda was better than Tommy in January, oh. but that's a debate we don't have to. I mean, I'm just saying, like, oh, you're asking. Thank you for, yeah. thank you for reminding us of, of how wrong you were. Uh, <laughs> you're actually right in, in Australia. Yeah. Match um, points on Novex. Corda was unbelievable. He almost made my list here just on, like, principle. Here's a here's a rude thing that it's very good. You'll probably uh, you'll Casper? say it yourself. You, you Wait, ca that I'm going to talk about Casper? Would you say a rude thing? Oh, no, 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 no. Here's – I'm forget this happened. Great podcasting. Okay, leave it in. That. Yeah. Uh, Paul last year at the U.S. Open, right? Yeah. Was 0-5 or something like that coming in. Okay. He was nervous as heck against Bernabe Zapata-Marais in the first round. His nerves were crippling. 
Like you're Tommy Paul and you've never won a match at the UFC. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's enough to get you tight. So he goes five sets with with Zapata Marias, and then in the next round, he goes uh, five sets again because he got a tough draw. I think he had to play Corda. He beats him, though. <laughs> next match, he gets Kasparud. That goes five. <laughs> He's dead in the fifth set. He loses six love. You can't play three five-setters in a row at the start of a major. Uh, but I'm just thinking also, just for fun, what if he wasn't so tight against Zapata Marias, he beats him in straights, he might beat Kasparud, who goes on to make the final. So just a hypothetical I wanted to throw out there, like he, he did have a good U.S. Open last year, and he really pushed Rude. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I, that was a fun rivalry last year. One of those, like, they played each other in a couple of fun five-setters because those are two guys who, again, look at each other and go, hey, we're handsome and we're athletic. Let's have some fun out here. And... Tommy's just got weapons. He's good. He should be in this list. So I'm doing the math in my head, by the way. You had Tsitsipas 6, Tommy 7. I have Tsitsipas 8. My 7, I just want to entertain you with it. Yeah. And I'm not serious. Like, he's not winning the slam. But I think it's <laughs> beholden on us as – I was going to say analyzers. Um, shows you where the brain is. As analysts of the game to – Bring out someone on the list because, look, again, it's going to be one of four guys. Djokovic, Alcaraz, Sinner, Medvedev. If it's not one of those four, who's the long shot? Who's the guy where in the house of cards he has set for himself or in the realm of possibilities? This is just like one of the outlier scenarios. And I set all this up to say, if someone not in those top four is going to win this major, is it the most plausible scenario, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, where he just like goes on one of those two week runs? Because again, it's like, this is my long shot. Seven's the long shot spot for me, where it's like, let's just have some fun with this one. And I went through my head. I'm like, who are the fun picks here? Like, forget all the top 10 guys, Rublev, Fritz. It's all the same shade of man. Like, no disrespect. And if Runa was healthy, he would be in this conversation seriously. Casper, three out of five, is a different beast. He's on my list. I have nine or ten, whatever. Sorry to get ahead of you here, Gil. But it's just like seven to me had to be a spot where, okay, something weird happens. Who are the weird candidates? Here are the three. You tell me who's most interesting, and then I'll shut up. I promise. Felix is a weird candidate because he's playing horrible, but like his serve, his forehand, I like, what if he gets hot? Like, come on now. That would be weird and fun. Yeah. The second candidate, and again, like second candidate is Corda. That's not a fun conversation, so we can skip that yeah. one. And I think the third is Davidovich Fokina. Like he captures lightning in a bottle. There are times when he just does things, and he is the sort of athlete where, do I think he's going to win a major ever? No. But what if he just gets hot for two weeks? Like he's the most realistic, uh, implausible guy to me. Sure. I mean, at some point, usually it comes crashing down. If yeah. it were to get hot, you'd But think, what if it did it? You'd think he it, it won't last seven matches. That's a lot yeah. of matches. Look, I, I like the pick. I'm never really gonna argue with like a bold Davidovich Fakina pick. I've made them <laughs> in the past. Yeah. Uh, I've been there. <laughs> uh, so so I get it. You know, to answer your question on who is the weird guy, I actually think Holgaruna has just been so written off. Oh, there's no, he's not there. I think that's the guy who ultimately it could be like, remember when he didn't, hadn't won any matches coming into the U S open, because if you were to ask me, I don't know, in, I'm not going to say March because there wasn't much, he, he wasn't looking so good. If you were to ask me in April or may, who would surprisingly win the U S open, I would have said Runa. And now he's so low on everybody's list because he hasn't shown anything. I just, it, that to me is where I thought you were going when you were like, we got to get a little bit crazy here. Now you went crazier than that. 
Um, <laughs> on brand. For So I'll tell you, Runa, I have three honorable mentions. He's not in okay. my 10 or my honorable mentions. Mm-hmm. Uh, did I say Runa? Yeah, not in your 10 or your honorable. Okay, sure. Okay. Uh, I could tell by your reaction that I yeah. didn't say the right name. <laughs> Runa, I have, and I'm going to ask you where you have him. I have him 10. We agree. I have him 10 as well. Like I, I respect it too much. Right. And the fact that he, Sinner, and Alcaraz have really separated themselves from the rest of that next-gen 2.0 pack, like they are all top 10 players, and the eye test would reveal as much as well. And they all have Masters titles, and they've all made quarterfinals of slams, and they're all just knocking on the door already. And I, he's young enough that I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that the one-week break or all the medical things, two weeks, whatever it is, if he is well enough to play, he just has to be on the list. And so that's why I snuck him in at 10. Yeah, exactly. There's still kind of a, a wild card factor with him where you know the talent is there. And it's like, when is he going to just get back to giant killing like like he did early in his career? It'll happen at some point. Uh, but he uh, doesn't have a top 20 win on, on hard court uh, this year. Obviously, the form doesn't support him. But again, he just he's there because... You, uh, you know what he's capable of. So we have your five, your six, your seven, your eight, and your 10. Is your nine. So I think one of Andre Rublev or Kasparud Rude is not making your 10. Correct. And do, can I spoil it? Both are not making my 10. Both. Now, they're my first two honorable mentions. Let the record show. Rude, uh, Rude is 11. Rublev is 12. And, you know, in my list, I had A's and B's. So I might have cheated. Um... I just felt wrong not putting Francis Tiafo on my list because I am such a believer in f- best out of five set Francis Tiafo and the places he can go to physically that no one else can reach. He's also on that Alcaraz Tommy level where it's just like, okay, fair fight. And I watched him be and the New York crowd and the relationship they developed last year, and they will support him through and through. He will be a top 16 seed. So in theory, the draw should be there for him to at least get to the second week. And then once you're in the second week, it's anyone's ball game um, in terms of, you know, delineating outside of the top four. I just, I'm a believer in Francis in making magic in New York. And so that's why, because Rude and Rublev have not played particularly well. Now, Andre Rublev's getting to the quarterfinals. Like, he's not in my top 10. He's getting to the quarterfinals. Um, I just think he's got a hard ceiling in a way that Tiafo doesn't. And that's why I put him a little higher on this list. Sure. I mean, there's always that question. Honestly, I was on a bike ride today thinking about this. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, is the power rankings about. Because Rublev is a good example, and yeah. Rune is a good example. Is it about who's going to make the second week, the end of them especially, uh, the end of the power rankings? Mm-hmm. Who Who's going to make the second week or who can win? Yes. Uh, sometimes that's different. It's a tough call. And uh, I think I decided, you know what, if, if someone – like doing well at the majors counts. It's not just about winning. So like if I feel better about a guy making the second week but maybe I can't see them winning – uh, I feel like they should get the nod in the power rankings over a guy who might lose first round, but I could see them <laughs> winning more. Diatribe. Um, <laughs> look, Francis, though, for me, I think the best point and the best argument you have is that the crowd legitimately helps him. And that's yeah. not always true in tennis, right? You can't just be like, oh, it's a Frenchman at Roland Garros. They should be good. It's like, nope, Sanga, Monfils. Simone, no. Uh, so it doesn't always work one to one. Tiafo really does get a boost from from that crowd, and it makes him a better player. But yeah, I mean, there's not enough. To me, there's not enough major quarterfinals. There's not enough form. Uh, I just don't. I can't back it up for me. So, but I, I'm interested in the pick. I I'm I like the pick. But can I ask you in that spirit? Yeah. Who's more likely to win the U.S. Open? And it's both under 1%. Sure. Tiafo or any of the R's? Runa, Rude, or Rublev? I think Rude is more likely to win than okay. Tiafo. I think the weapons for Casper are there. More so, I mean, you know, and I'll I'll include plus the movement. 
Uh, yeah, sure. Which which is kind of where Rublev lag, lags off of of Rude a little bit. I I see what you're saying, but yeah. again, I guess I just haven't. I've wanted him to do a lot more uh, yeah. in the last few months. Even on grass, I wanted him to do a lot more on grass after he won the title in in Stuttgart. Completely fair. Well, then tell me the rest of your list, because where I believe we are with you, Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev, Sinner, Zverev, Tsitsipas. After that, your seven, I think you said, or that's where we left, is Tommy. Eight, nine, ten gets interesting. The floor is yours. On your own show, let me just say the floor is yours. Well, we agreed. That's so kind of you. We agreed on Runa at ten. So what it comes down to is my eight, nine are the two guys who you just left off. It's Rublev at eight and Rude at nine. Interesting. Explain that to me, please. Rublev over Rude. Gut? It's mostly because of mostly because of just wins in 2023. It's like, okay. have you won this season? And for Rude, it's, it's not the surface thing. It's not the last two weeks, the hardcourt masters, because I, I think Rublev and Rude are in the same bucket when it comes to you didn't really win in these last two weeks. Yes, Rude has the three major finals. Rublev hasn't been past the quarters, but it's, again, it, it comes down to Casper. You've really only had like two good weeks this year. Uh, where is he in, in the race compared to Rublev? It's not close. It's Rude is 10th in the race and Rublev is sixth in the race, which... Mm-hmm. At that level, that's a pretty big difference. Well, Rublev in like a comfortable the six to seven gap. Sorry to interject, but the six to seven gap is pretty big, right? Like Rublev is where there's a gap, and then there's a whole cluster. Yes, he spent a lot of time this year at five in the race. Yes, that's where I got tripped up putting Rude over Rublev. I know that both of them are your honorable mentions. Do you have them flipped? I went also, Rude over. Let me, let me say. Let me say one other thing, please. It's not easy to, to come into a tournament defending that many points mm-hmm. and you don't have confidence. Yeah. Except for, can I, can I give you the zag? Yeah. Didn't he just do that at the French open? Like didn't have a ton of confidence. Didn't have the best master stretch reaches the final of this year's French open. And that's where the three out of five component comes in because if nothing else, I usually feel pretty confident that Casper Ruud's in shape and he's such a, you know, a high efficiency player. You know, the plays you're getting out of him, give him three out of five set and the numbers typically slant his way. Now, I cede your argument to Rublev. You've actually convinced me to flop them in my list. I think that's a very strong argument. But that was my initial thinking is, look, I've been in a position where I wasn't confident in Casper when he had finals points to defend, and he defended them. And that's just the most – that's more significant, all due respect to the Masters 1000 title he won this year. It's more significant than anything Rublev's done. Sure. Rude did have Rome. That's That's the one thing he made the semis. So there was something I didn't feel yeah. great about that run. There weren't any awesome wins in that run. Uh, okay. So so your point stands, but it was a Rome semifinal at least. Uh, honorable mentions: I have Demonor, I have Hercotch, and I have Fritz. Those are my three. Do you feel like you have to get anything off your chest about any of those guys? I mean, yes. Oh, where do <laughs> no? Um, I, I can be brief. Um, I had those three as well. My list went fifteen deep. Um, cause that's what I do. So what you didn't have Tiafo or Davidovich Fokina. Those were the two names you left off. Fair enough. Um, Fritz out of respect, like he's just good. I just, I just got You just, he's good. I don't know how he won it. Like he didn't have a bad tournament in any of the four events he played yep. Atlanta, DC. Like I am, I am selling him too low. I, I had two Americans on the list and he wasn't one of them. That's probably disrespectful. Um, if Hubie serves well, sure. He's going to play a five-setter. It's just a question of what round. Um, and meet me, a.k.a. Alex Demonauer. I just wanted to work in the sound effect there. Leave it in. Um, he's fa- like he's going to make a semifinal of a hardcourt major at some point. He is the lesser version of the David- Davidovich Fokina pick, where it's like, yeah, sure. Like He fitnesses his way to a, to a quarter and then loses in a tight four to Zverev, who was just like, thank God this is the matchup I got, and now I'm in the semis because you beat Medvedev because Medvedev couldn't produce pace against you on this given day. Like That's a plausible scenario. 
That's all I got on those three. Why are they on your list? Well, I'll take the no on Demonor, uh, okay. major semifinal in his career. I, look, I have tons of respect for him. I love him as a player. He fights an uphill battle. That serve isn't big, and his ground strokes aren't big. And for those, for those things being the case, to be a top 15 player, which he is and deserves right now, uh, enormous props. But I do think we'll see... You know, a, a bit of a Diego Schwartzman dynamic. I know that the the surface is completely different. Meaning, Schwartzman was best on clay. Demonor is worst on clay. I get there are differences, but uh, I just feel that cap with him, and that's kind of why he doesn't make the list. Even though, oh my God, he's made three finals since Queens. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> nah, he's he's. He's had like a, a solid year, a very solid year. I mean, you look for Demon right now, and I know obviously the big run in Canada, but he's 11th in the points race. Like, yeah. uh, if the over-under on his career was one and a half, like, uh, you, you probably would have taken the under in terms of tour-level finals, excuse me, to finish that thought. And he's had a great year, and yet you're right. This does kind of feel like it's the ceiling, although he is just 24. I think Hercotch is playing by far the best tennis he has all year. Mm-hmm. And of the three on your honorable mention, he's probably playing the best of them all right now. He looks great at those hardcourt masters, even in the yeah. losing efforts to Alcaraz. He should have he should have beaten Alcaraz more than Tommy should have. Like, let's just be honest. Let's lay the cards on the table. He had no business losing that match in Canada. Yeah, it, it happens to him. However, I mean, the, sure. the forehand that he missed on match point is a forehand he misses too much. Uh, but in fairness, the forehand is really what's looked so good in these last two weeks. That's what's inspired me to be like, oh, he's playing well. Oh, he's dangerous right now. The, the thing is, what makes you nervous, uh, should I make this analogy? Sure. I'll Do it. go for it. Virginia basketball under Tony Bennett. All right? <laughs> Let me explain this to those who don't follow, follow college basketball. They're this is not what I expected. Team. They don't score a lot. Therefore, their games are close. And the problem with picking Virginia when you fill out your bracket is you know that that second round, that sweet 16, that elite eight, every game is going to be close. What if they lose one? That is the equivalent of a player who doesn't break serve a lot <laughs> because every match is going to be close. And it's like last year i i think i put him on upset alert he loses to Ilya avashka it's are you going to lose that third or second round match to to Ilya avashka um that's the problem although i do think that he can make a lot of guys uncomfortable uh if he if he does make that round of 16 and that quarterfinal and his forehand continues to look as confident as it's looked that was a fantastic analogy that really worked if you know Virginia basketball, you're like, oh, yeah, he plays a bunch of breakers. Virginia games are 45-40. Like, good point, Gil. I'm also moaning. You saw me type there. Ilya Vashka on my list. Honorable mentions just <laughs> on principle. Because he's going to beat someone in five sets, right? Yes. Yeah. Or, or sorry, not him. Fuchovic. I was thinking of Fuchovic. Oh, Put Fuchovic okay. on the list. Yeah, Vashka's ha- I, I think yeah. he's had a, a rough year. But yeah. he pushed Sinner to five. Yeah. I think he might have had something to do with Alcaraz beating Sinner in that next match. Sure. You're sure. (laughs) Hey, I was there. Yeah. I I defer to you. It was midnight at Armstrong and Uh, nobody else was there, but I was there. I get a phone call 2 AM for my college, uh, college tennis, sorry, club college tennis doubles partner. And it's just him at the Alcaraz center match. And I was like, dude, what the hell? (laughs) Gotta love it. And the yeah. US Open is not changing the scheduling. So we're yeah. running back, baby. Uh, Fritz, yeah, he's been so consistent. I just need to see more big splashes at big events. That's why he misses the 10. Mm-hmm. That's all. It's well set. My God. I thought, I'm by the way, though, this is a crazy zag. Fritz's only big semifinal this year is Monte Carlo. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. I was going through my head, like, what has he done this season? I mean, disrespect to United Cup. We'll let that slide. Um, Look, there's, yeah. there's actually he's he's crushed the two fifties. Like he's he won. killed the two fifties. Yeah. Killed it. So is this his 2021 Casper Ruud season? And he's a year away. It's like next year's when he gets the two Slam finals. He hopes. 
Yeah. Who's his college basketball equivalent? Give me more of those. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know. It's no, he is. I mean, he's Duke in every sense of the word, but he's not good enough. Um, he's like, you know who he is No, He's better than Texas where it's just like, Oh, he's got the weapons and he's got all the eye popping things, but like you kind of want a little more from the results. Um, he's a big brand Villanova before they really got going. Oh, Uh, because you know, right now the thing with Fritz is also the majors. The last four majors have not been good. And it's kind of like Nova got into that streak of they're really good, but man, they just don't win in the tournament. Yeah, or like, who was the, the the Pittsburgh men's tennis coach? Uh, men's tennis, Pittsburgh uh, men's basketball coach when they had Dewan Blair, like those late two thousands early. Anyways, Jamie Dixon, that's the name. Um, yeah, those Jamie Dixon Pittsburgh teams. Um, All right. Yes. Nobody's, <laughs> yeah. uh, nobody's watching anymore, so we'll wrap it up. Uh, Gruskin, what do you got to plug um, coming up? Three a tennis show, myself, Amy Lundy, Joel Drucker. Um, no, it's a mini break podcast, great shot podcast. We're covering all things Cleveland, Winston, Salem on the mini break. We'll be previewing the U.S. Open on the great shot podcast. Hopefully we'll have time to do a home and home this week so we can have you on the show to talk about some aspect of it. Busy times at Crack Rack. It's always a pleasure, though. Can always make time to join your show, my friend. Appreciate you, buddy. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.